Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 2. Might seem like somewhat of a strange place to start, but John chapter 2 Look at verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. Boy, is that a picture of the interaction between a mom and a son, isn't it? (laughs) Woman, why do you involve me? Some translations uh, say, woman, uh, what have you to do with me? The King James Version translates that. Suffice it to say, Jesus was saying, mom, this is inappropriate. This is not the time. But Mary knew something that even Jesus didn't know. Essentially, Jesus was saying, the time of the father has not come upon me. And she's saying, but yes, the time of the mother has. (laughs) And she's telling him to do something by the power of God. It's an amazing thing. Later on in this passage, we hear that this was the first way by which Jesus showed his glory. Now, it's, there, there is a little bit of debate whether this was his first miracle or was it a unique miracle that showed his glory. Suffice it to say, this was early on, and most people look at this as the first miracle, period, that Jesus performed. So it begs this question, how did Mary know? You say, well, pastor, I mean, think about the Christmas story. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you, though, Mary went through some head games raising this little boy. We look back... We often interpret things from a historical perspective and impose the luxury of history and all that we know over on, over on those situations. And we think that they, ret- they had all the knowledge we now do, but that's not the case. Mary had to walk by faith. But there's something about her that recognized that Jesus could become the answer to their problems. I find it fascinating So he said, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. She looks at him. He's like, woman, what have I to do with you? Why are you involving me? My time has not yet come. And his mother, Mary, ignores Jesus. She's the only one who can, by the way, okay? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She, She just blows right by his hesitation. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot of water and a lot of wine. Something like 130 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the waters, the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine for the guests after they've had too much to drink, but you have saved the best 
till now. Interesting, interesting story. But what I want to focus on is how did Mary know? How did she know that the time had come? To me, it's fascinating that Jesus didn't even think it was time, but she did. And Jesus gave way to his mother. You could say that Mary gave birth to Jesus physically and gave birth to his ministry eventually. This was like her final push. And there is a difference in her relationship with him after this. You're familiar with the one time where Mary shows up with her children and Jesus is teaching, the place is crowded and someone comes in and whispers in Jesus' ear and says, hey, Jesus, your mom and your, your siblings are here to see you. And he said, he looked up and looked at the crowd and he said, who is my mother? Who are, who are my brothers? Those who do the will of the Father. And there is this, this difference in their relationship. And so in, in one real sense, this was like, You could say her final act to push him, birth him out of obscurity into notoriety, birthing his ministry, giving that final push. In a time where even Jesus himself didn't think it was time. It may not have been time five minutes earlier, but when mama said so, it became time. Now that, there's there's a, we don't have time to get into this this morning, but that, my friend, is a fascinating thing. That faith can move the timeline of God. We don't have time to get into that. But we'll look at that at another time. So where did this knowledge come from? Where, did, where was what was going on? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the angel, or the uh, shepherds rather, their message to, Je- to uh, Mary Chapter 2, verse 16. There's some very specific passages I want to read here, so that's why I'm wanting you to look at it here. Look at uh, verse 15. When the angels had left them. Now, again, you're, you're all familiar. They're, they're, it says these shepherds were living out in the field. They literally, that was the, where they lived. They lived in tents out in the open. Uh, they were the lowest caste of society. They're just minding their own business, watching over the sheep. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up. And it said, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the angel said, fear not. And there's a reason he said, fear not. Because they were terrified by what they were seeing. And the angel announces this to them. He says, uh, he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, this long-awaited messianic king. He was telling them, he's arrived, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, All of a sudden, they begin to sing this chorus. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, 
if, I, I would encourage you, go back and read this passage later because when the angels are saying this, if you begin to read through what they're talking about, it's very clear that they are speaking from a heavenly perspective. They're speaking from an angelic perspective. And you get an insight into this wonderful, amazing story when God invaded earth in the form of a man. You get that perspective from an angelic perspective. You get to see what they were thinking. And what we see is that the angels, they were, there were, there was all this activity in heaven. They had been watching the events for the last nine months, really the last 12 months in heaven because it began with Elizabeth and John the Baptist and then we had Mary and Jesus and all of this happening and now they, they unload this message on these shepherds and what they're saying is glory to God in the highest. They're saying up in our realm where we live, Glory to God. But in your realm on earth, peace on those with whom his favor rests. And he's saying what's going on tonight is proof that God's favor rests on humanity. That's the good news. It's an amazing thing. So read that later and look at it from that perspective. So verse 15, this is where we're going. When angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened about which the Lord told us about. Let me just say that supernatural encounters should move you. They're not just so you can enjoy it and get goosebumps. The angelic encounter was not just a wow moment and then they get back to their job. However, after they did what they were supposed to do, they got back to their job. And the, there's, there's two ends of the pendulum in the way we respond to the supernatural. Sometimes we respond like just a wow moment and then we go back to normal. And other people want to just disengage from the real world and just go after more supernatural encounters. And these shepherds are an example to us of what we need to do. They heard the word, then they said, let's go out and seek this thing. It's not just hearing about it. We want to experience it. We want this thing to be established in our life. So they went and they took the message. The message was not just for them. It was for Mary as well. It was for Mary and Joe, but especially Mary. And then it says, after all that, they went back to the sheep. Get back and fulfill their responsibility. So look at verse 16. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. So they waited till they saw the baby Jesus, and then they began to tell everybody, man, this is what just happened to us. And I, I'm going to tell you, they were very convincing because all of them were shook to their toenails by what had just happened. And uh, so it goes on. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd had said to them. Or what the, what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which they were just had been told about. And so they went back to their responsibilities. But what I want to focus on this morning is where it says they were amazed. I, I want to say the ESV says that they were, they were in wondered. They wondered about it. There was this wonder, this sense of awe. Not just to curiosity, but a sense of awe came upon everybody that heard this news. 
But while they wondered, Mary pondered. And there's a difference between those two things. And what we need to realize is Mary's way of stewarding this word prepared her for the role that she would play. And the fact is, the same is true for you and I. They were all amazed at the word. And a lot of times what happens when believers are around God's activity, they are in wonder, they're in awe. There's a sense of wonder of what God is doing. But wonder is a very passive thing. It's just an unconscious, unintentional response to what God is doing. They're amazed. It has to do with getting new information that you weren't prepared for. And that's exactly what happened to the shepherds and everybody that they sent this message to. People were surprised by what had happened. The shepherds, well, they delivered the message. The others just received it and they wondered. But Mary did something very specific. It says she treasured these things and she pondered them in her heart. Now let me read you a word study here. I went on. Treasured, the word treasured is Suntarero. It almost sounds Spanish. Greek usually does. It means to preserve the knowledge of memories for later use. To exert mental effort in storing information so as to have continual access and use of it. To cause oneself to be fully aware of, to keep in mind and remember. It's the equivalent of our modern word saying, I'm going to keep that in mind. That's what, when it says that Mary treasured these things, what it means is she kept them in mind. She nursed, she treasured them, she valued those words, and she kept it in the forefront of her mind. It became the lens through which she looked at her son. It became, she had to take that into consideration, the way she was raising Jesus. Mary is a wonderful picture of the church. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, one of these days, I'm going to preach a Christmas message on the virgin giving birth and the dragon trying to intercept out of Revelation. There's a good Christmas message, a dragon trying to eat the infant, because that really is part of Christmas. And this picture of Mary, it's a great analogy of the church. Because she got a word from the Lord that she took in and she began to nurse that thing. And when you get a word from the Lord, it's supposed to change you. It's not just supposed to give us goosebumps and make us wonder. We need to get beyond wondering in a passive way and ponder in an active way. We need to treasure these things. And any woman that's ever given birth knows that that little bit of life I know with, with my wife, I always knew when she got pregnant. We went through it six times. I knew when she was pregnant. I, I remember with Noah. We we're sitting in our trailer home out at Teen Challenge, and she just looked up at me and she said, There's fish sticks in the freezer. And she got this ill look on her face, and I knew, uh oh, we're going to have a baby. Sure enough. <laughs> Because my wife would get so ill, and she would be bedridden for three months. I mean, I remember our first one. This is, okay, have mercy on me, okay? This is my first time through this. She was in bed for days and, and then weeks. And finally, I went up at my lunch hour, and I went up, and she was just laying there, and I pinched her skin, and it didn't go back down. 
She was that dry. And being the intelligent man that I am, I realized we need to do something about this. And so she would always get on IVs and have to go. I mean, she couldn't even keep water down. She just would get so sick. But past that first trimester, this woman loved being pregnant. She, we would have 30 kids if we could have. When it happens, your body begins to change and you have to accommodate that little life. It ain't the other way around. You know, a lady doesn't say, well, I, I don't think I'm gonna go with the big belly thing. I wanna keep my abs. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my summer body. It ain't gonna work. That thing takes over and you're merely hosting that little life and you have to accommodate it and it begins to move organs around and towards the end, it's an amazing thing. I mean, women are having a hard time breathing and little feet and I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And every time I see it, I just think, thank God I'm a man. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It really is. It's a marvelous thing. But it's a picture, a beautiful picture of the church and of the individual believer because Mary carried the word of the Lord. Jesus was the word made flesh, but somebody had to carry him. And that's how this thing works. God will give you a word, some sense of your future, and it comes in you and you're impregnated with this thing in a seed form. And as it grows, maybe there's a little feeling of, I'm feeling a little sick right now because of what I'm looking at. It, all of us respond in different ways, but I'm telling you, as that thing begins to grow, it begins to take over and your life has to form around it if you're really gonna carry the word of the Lord until eventually you give birth to an external expression of the word of the Lord on your life that others can enjoy. That's the picture here. Now, scholars believe Mary was somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. I know in our modern mind, that's almost offensive to think of a 12-year-old girl. But that wasn't uncommon in that culture for a girl to be betrothed at that age. They tended to mature much quicker and die much sooner back in those days. So they figured that she was somewhere between 12 and 15 years old and she has this encounter with an angel. When it says that she treasured these things and she pondered them, let me tell you what the word ponder means before I get into that. Ponder, the Greek word is sumbalo. It seems to imply taking into consideration other known issues. It's, it's a really a compound word. It's sun, which means together, and balo, which means to throw or to cast. And so you put them together, it means to, to cast or throw these things together. The idea is this, that what she heard from the shepherds, she took and she put it with all the other things she'd already heard from the Lord. And she was adding that to her prophetic journal, her prophetic repertoire. And she was taking into consideration what she heard from them. You see, Mary had numerous prophetic encounters. Her first one as a young girl, tradition says she was in the backyard washing dishes. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and, and he says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored among women. And the text says she was troubled by this greeting. She was trying to figure out, what do you mean I'm favored? In other words, she didn't see herself 
in that way. She, she had not seen that she was a candidate to be used by God. And so the first thing that God dealt with was her identity, how she viewed herself. And she was addressed in this way. And while she's troubled by that, the angel begins to tell her what's about to happen to her. And this young girl is processing all of it. Now, Mary was an interesting girl. We don't know a lot about her, but I've come to two conclusions about Mary. Number one, this was a girl who was willing to upend her entire life for the word of the Lord. She was willing to allow her life to be adjusted. And she had a, a, a perception that was beyond her years. And one example of that was when the angel told her, you're going to be with child. She said, how can this be in that I'm yet a virgin? And I've always wondered, why would she say that? She was already betrothed. She was engaged to be married. And the vast majority of girls, if an angel showed up and said, you're going to be with child and this child will be significant, she'd think, oh, when Joe and I get married, we're going to have a baby. But something in what the angel said made her understand that this would not be a natural child through Joe. She said, how can this be? And the angel said, the spirit of the most high will hover over you and you will be found with child. And this girl is calculating that. She's understanding the implications of this and she kissed her reputation goodbye. She knew what that was gonna look like in that culture. She wasn't even sure at that point whether Joe would divorce her because in that culture, if you were betrothed, you would have to do a public divorce to separate yourself from this girl. It's fascinating to me. There's another passage. Luke tells things from Mary's perspective. Matthew tells things from Joseph's perspective. And it's very clear in Matthew, it says, and this, uh, some to the effect of this is the way the birth of Jesus came about is how it introduces it. It says, after they were betrothed, but before they were married. It's very specific in that sense. After they were betrothed, but before they were married. And so what, what the Lord is telling us, the Spirit of God anointed Matthew to point out this, that the pregnancy of Mary, the conception, took place in a very, very narrow window of time. After Joe had made his desire public, and she accepted, but before they could legally come together according to the law, she was found with child. I find that fascinating, and frankly somewhat irritating. That the Lord shanghaied Joseph in that manner. Seriously. If she would have been found to be with child, and Joseph could have come in and said, hey, but I'm willing, hey, I'm willing to give this child a father, and he could have been the hero, but God didn't do it that way. Or God could have said, listen, you, get, you marry her now because she's going to be with child, and she's, I'm, gonna, I'm about to cause her to be with child, so get in there and marry her now, and no one has to know. But that's not the way the Lord did it. Do you know God is very intentional? There's a reason the Lord did it that way. He trapped Joseph. He did. He trapped Joseph and he trapped Mary. 
Because raising the Son of God was going to demand that they kiss their reputation goodbye. God was going to need to do that internal work in them so that they could be the right people to raise this child. They couldn't be ones that would worry about what others would think. And let me just pause here. Anybody that's ever had a child knows the pressure of thinking, what are others going to think when you're raising your kids? Forget about it. It doesn't matter what other people think. You're not going to grow old with those other people. They aren't the ones that are going to visit you in your old age. So don't worry about, don't discipline your children based on the perception of other people. Because you will alienate your children. And so God did a work in Joseph and Mary. And Mary understood she was going to kiss her reputation goodbye. And we see this into Jesus' ministry. They called him an illegitimate child. They accused him of being someone born out of wedlock. Joseph had to embrace the fact either he was looked at by some as, oh yeah, sure, yeah. God impregnated your girlfriend. And they're looking at him as this immoral young man that got his girlfriend pregnant. And others looked at him, what a sucker. You believe that line she told you? And either way, it's not something that you would want to appear as. But God, in this narrow window of time, Mary was found to be with child. And so the angel comes and tells her, What's going to happen to her? And that set, that cast the die for her and how she was gonna live her life with this little child and she was willing to kiss her reputation goodbye as this thing began to grow in her womb, this word, the word of God, Jesus in the flesh. Then we see after she's given birth, you know, Joseph comes to her and said, hey, I I had a dream and the Lord did tell me that this is of him and I'm willing to side with you and I'm gonna give this child a a, a father. I'm gonna take you under my wing and we're gonna do this thing together. Then on the night that Jesus was born, the angel shows up with the shepherds. And it says right after that angel, so it's the very night that she has given birth, they come and tell her, hey, angels lit up the sky and told us about this child. And it says she treasured and pondered those things in her heart. She took this new information. She's got a prophetic journal that she's already treasuring in her heart. And now she's taking these fresh words and she's beginning to live her life through these words. I'm telling you, one of the necessary things for us as believers is to take what God is speaking to us now and throw it together with what we already know. We need to live our life in that manner. We need to continually be adding to, I I think of for me personally, I'm always building my theology. Some of that is my theology about what God is telling me about my own life and what I should do. Some of it is just my perception of him But we've always got to keep an open mind in the word and allow God to shape us and form us. I I had breakfast with a pastor this week and I was telling him, I I don't trust a preacher 
who never changes his mind. I don't trust a preacher who has the same exact theology on every point that he did 10 years ago because he's no longer teachable. The only one that is justified in being unteachable is the omniscient God. And until you're omniscient, (laughs) until you're all-knowing, you've got to remain teachable. And so we're always taking things in. And those encounters like for Mary and the words that she was given, she was taking those in and she was formulating, what is God saying to my life? And we're adding that to our prophetic repertoire. We're adding that to our understanding of God. And we always need to be teachable. I'll tell you, one of the primary, let me put it this way. Curiosity is a very large part of what spiritual hunger is about. If you are really spiritually hungry, you will always be curious about the things of God. And if you lack a curiosity about the things of God, if you don't find yourself wondering, God, why this? And how does this work? And what's the deal with that? If you don't find yourself chewing on those things, I tell you, that's a warning signal that you're being pulled into natural things and you've lost your spiritual appetite. God draws you in with this curiosity, this hunger, this desire to know. And we need to guard that, that thing in us that, and, and God loves for us to question him. He really does. He, he loves for us to say, God, I don't understand. Why, why do you do this? And what's, what's the deal with this? And we should have these things we're dialoguing with the Lord about. There's some things that I've been asking the Lord about for 30 years. And I've gotten a little more insight, but I'm still in the dark on those things. But I've been asking them and asking them and asking them. And God wants to give you answers to those things. He wants you to be building your theology, which is simply your view of him. You should be growing in your revelation of who he really is and his ways, how he operates. Scripture says that we're to hunger after his kingdom and his righteousness, his ways and how that affects our lives. And this is what Mary was doing. She was pondering those things she goes from this, this birth, she just gave birth and these shepherds come and it says that everybody else was amazed, but she was listening and she was adding that and it says she treasured it and she always kept it in mind. She was thinking about those things. I remember what those angels said, that supernatural phenomena, the, way, the day this little toddler was born. Eight days later, they would go to the temple and there was Anna, that that aged intercessor, and she gets a prof- gives a prophetic word over Jesus. And then Simeon, that aged prophet, she, he gives a prophetic word over Jesus. And I believe she added that. She's throwing that together, and she's thinking about that, and she's looking at that little boy through that lens. We need to raise what God has put within us through those lenses, and we need to do that with our kids. We need to tune our ear and listen. What is the Lord saying over our kids? This day and age of cell phones is a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you. When we have prophetic people around, get your kids in front of them, have them prayed for and record that thing. And then use that as the lens through which you view your children. 
Graham Cook has this wonderful teaching. He said, prophecy is God saying to you, I want to introduce you to someone. And he introduces the you in the present to the you in the future. And then he begins to treat you as the you in the future from then on. And that peer, that, that, not peer pressure, but that pressure that God exerts upon you forces you to begin to live up to that. And he, he's pulling on that. And the first phase of that is that uncomfortability, when, like when the angel shows up and said, you're highly favored. And you don't see yourself that way. God is after those things. And we can use prophecy in that same way in our children's lives. When we begin to hear the word of the Lord over our kids, we begin to view them through that lens. When we hear the word of the Lord over our spouse, over other people, a truly prophetic church does that with one another. A truly prophetic church doesn't just keep a list of the prophetic words they have received. It keeps a list of the prophetic words over your friends' lives. And you treat them as if they are the future person they're going to be. And that's what Mary did. So Mary hears from Simeon, hears from Anna. Then they think it's around two years that the Magi that we talked about last week, the Magi show up. The reason they think it was about two years old is because Herod said, we're going to kill all the male children in Bethlehem two years and under. So they figured it was sometime in that little toddlerhood. And here come these magi, these foreign kingmakers that we talked about last week. And they make declarations over that child. Then Joseph has a dream. And the Lord tells him, go to Egypt and to preserve his life. And again, she up, you know, uproots her entire existence to protect what God is doing within her. And what I'm saying this morning is this. I believe those are the things that scripture is speaking of when it says she treasured. And I believe that's the reason Jesus understood what Jesus could do before Jesus even thought it was his time. When she was at that wedding, she had a a large volume in her heart about what had been said about her son. And there was something in her heart that understood it's time. And she pushed her son into ministry. There's several applications for us this morning. As a church, we need to accommodate the word of the Lord. In our own lives, we need to accommodate the word of the Lord. And like Mary, we need to be willing to be uprooted and follow that. We just prayed over John and Emily this morning. They felt this growing thing within them and they're accommodating that. And they're getting up and doing something very uncomfortable for them. We bless that. For our children, we want to look at them through that lens. We want to hear the word of the Lord over them and relate with them through that word. Here's the point. It's not good enough to merely marvel at what the Lord is doing around us. We're not called to take a passive role and just be in awe of what God is doing. God is looking for those who go beyond wonder and start to ponder and treasure and rearrange their lives to do the word of the Lord. I want to encourage you to look back over your life. What has the Lord said about you? What has the Lord said about your children? 
What has the Lord said about your family? Are you really looking at your life through the lens of the word of the Lord? We've got to be oh so careful. When I was a kid, I was raised in a very prophetic church. I didn't know. I just thought that's how church was. My childhood pastor was, many people looked at him as an apostolic leader around the world, but many others looked at him as a prophet. I don't know what he was. I just know he was a great man of God by the name of Paul Tucker. When he first got saved as a little boy, there was prophetic words over his life. He got saved in the latter rain movement. There were words over his life that he would prophesy over kings and, and uh, state leaders, and he did. He traveled all over the world well into his 80s. But for some reason, being raised in his church, it wasn't that he taught this. Matter of fact, he was well, well ahead of his times in the way he stewarded the prophetic. But for some reason, because I was raised with that, I was familiar with it, and I thought prophecy was a goosebump moment in the service. We'd be in worship, and all of a sudden you could sense it, there'd be a lull, and you know, Sister McGillicuddy would speak out in tongues, and then Mr. Smith, Brother Smith, would give uh, an interpretation always in King James Version English. And then we'd go, ooh, and then we'd move on. And that was amazing. We wondered. But I didn't understand that prophecy is to be leveraged for your future. It's supposed to change us and direct the trajectory of our life. God wants to put his word in you and you to carry that thing and give birth to something that others can enjoy. And that is the assignment over every one of us. Yes, us too, men. That we're to receive the word of the Lord and carry something for our generation. You're gonna, it's going to rearrange you. It's going to cost you. But it enables you to step into your destiny and in God's grand st- redemptive story. And anything less is frankly boring. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you for Mary. We thank you for her example. Lord, as evangelicals, we've overcorrected what we feel is an overemphasis on Mary. But in correcting an overemphasis, we've underemphasized this wonderful woman of God. We thank you for her example. But Lord, let us be beyond wonder and move into pondering and accommodating the word of the Lord. Lord, I ask that you would stir our hearts and remind us of what you've said over our lives, our families, and our church. And Lord, help us to be faithful to giving birth to those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.